here we go. Yes, you're listening to Bible Study Wednesday on this January the 22nd in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is our custom on Wednesdays, we take a look at a Bible passage for congregations that may be studying it together or people at home. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. That's in the New Testament, and it comes after the book of Ephesians. We got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And this is a very important passage to look at, especially during this epiphany season. Epiphany simply means to have a greater insight or revelation about something. Uh, For example, you may have a good friend and you suddenly hear that he robbed a bank and you had no idea he was that kind of an individual. That would be an epiphany and you would be surprised. Well, we're now taking a look at Jesus' epiphany. What is he truly like? Who is he? And why did he come to earth as a human being? So without further ado, Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of the same mind. So that's how Paul starts out. I I want to read the King James because it has a word there that people are going to wonder about. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit if any bowels and mercies, bowels. Well, you need to remember that in the day of Jesus, uh, parts of the body would often refer to an emotional state. We even do that today. If you say to someone, I love you with my whole heart, it means you have a great love for them. Uh, your love has, your heart has no love in it, but it is uh, part of the body we use to talk about the great love we may have for someone. Now, the word bowels in the Greek is splagigmi, and they think it comes from uh, another word and probably from the spleen. And when somebody talks about their bowels in the Greek, which also refers to the intestines, it's regarded as a seat of strong passions, such as anger or love. But by the Hebrews, it is the seat of tender affections, kindness, 
benevolence, compassion. So when Paul talks about that he prays that you have proper bowels, he's really talking what the ESV says, that you have proper affection and sympathy. So he's talking about this encouragement in Christ. Now, the word encouragement also can be translated as consolation. Uh, How many times are you in a difficult situation and then remember the promises of God and you are consoled? In fact, that's the goal of every sermon is on the basis of the passage that is being used for the text of the day, you are indicating Here's where I have fallen short of the glory of God. And then the sermon moves from the law to the gospel to give you encouragement and consolation. And this occurs because of your participation in the spirit. And the word spirit there is the word for Holy Spirit. In fact, Participation is ESV. The King James says, in the fellowship. And that's that word koinonia. Now, the only reason I mentioned that, when I was at one congregation, our youth were referred to as being part of a koinonia, a fellowship. We had a junior koinonia of youth and a senior koinonia. But it's a Greek word for fellowship, uh, association, uh, community. Paul is saying, when you have this fellowship in Christ and have comfort from love, and that's the love from God, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. What's Paul talking about? Well, he finds again and again, even in congregations he had visited for some time, that they are not of the same mind. In fact, uh, this Sunday we're talking about a text where some people are following Paul Others are following Peter. All others are following Christ. And Paul says, well, uh, you think that I should be worshipped because I baptized? I hardly baptized anybody, he says. He had one goal, and that was to preach about Christ. Being of the same mind means to be in proper doctrine. And, And that's why... I love being a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod because we have a book of Concord, which is a summary of the doctrines of Scripture pointing to Jesus as our Savior. And yes, pastors and even teachers can be removed from their position if they go contrary to this doctrine. Having the same mind, therefore, is really important. So 
This fulfills Paul's joy when he hears that they are of the same mind, that you may be like-minded. That's another way of putting it. Having also the same mind. And that word, uh, mind, is to have the right understanding, to be thinking the same way. And that's where real divisions can occur in a church. Uh, For example, we practice a close communion, which means, or closed communion, I don't think it matters which one you use, which means only those who have been properly instructed in the Lord's Supper and agree with the doctrines of that congregation should be communing. Now, it doesn't mean they're not Christian, but they're not yet prepared. Because according to 1 Corinthians 11, individuals who take the Lord's Supper improperly, not understanding it, or maybe for a different reason, some of them were getting sick, some were even dying. So this close communion has one purpose, and that is to protect Christians from unnecessary negative consequences of taking the Lord's Supper improperly. Therefore, a congregation that says anybody can come forward and commune is not a loving congregation, and they are not of the same mind as God is. So, verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So, the word conceit is also translated as vain glory. It's really about self-esteem. In fact, there's only two motivations that God recognizes in works. You either do them out of self-interest, and that would be apart from faith in Jesus Christ, or you do it out of spirit motivation, the motivation of the Holy Spirit. If you look at Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, it's not that the sheep are doing things that the goats were not doing. The goats also were probably providing food and water and clothing to the needy, visiting people in prison. The difference was their motivation. The sheep were doing it out of love for Jesus, and the goats were doing it out of self-interest. That's how God regards conceit. And, And therefore, you're not to do it out of ambition or conceit. Uh, For example, there's a little test that you can do with children. Give two different children a bag of M&Ms and then see what they're going to do with them. One may share the M&Ms with someone else. The other one may keep the M&Ms for himself. 
it is an error to say that the one who is sharing is doing a good work and the other one is conceitful or keeping them for himself. Because, and this occurs in my life, it probably occurs in your life. How many times do we do a good work in order to make ourselves look good in front of other people? So I may get a bag of M&Ms, share them with someone else, but I'm doing it out of self-interest because it makes me look good. I've often talked about walking down the sidewalk and a lady drops her groceries and I immediately help her pick them up, put them back in the bag. But while I'm doing that, I may look up and down the street to see if any of my members are going by in order to realize what a wonderful pastor I am. See, that would be doing it out of self-interest, not just out of love for the woman. So we often have mixed motivation. We have the proper motivation, but the old man sneaks in with mixed motivation. So what does it mean that we are to regard others as more significant than ourselves? Parents do that almost automatically to children because they so love their children that they will sacrifice things in their lives for the sake of their children. They, they may want to go to a really nice restaurant, but the kids want to go to McDonald's because they enjoy the prizes they get there. So the parents take them to McDonald's. Parents sacrifice throughout their life because they consider their children more significant. What Paul is saying is that you need to be regarding everyone as more significant than yourself. Verse 4 explains that. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, that's a great translation from the ESV. Uh, The King James has, uh, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So, uh, for example, uh, we live next door to a, a lady who can't get out and uh, take the snow off her driveway. Her car's in the garage. She's a little older. And at times, uh, Louise, my wife, will take care of the snow on our driveway and then just go over. It only takes a few minutes to take off sufficient snow off her driveway. Uh, that's looking out to the interests of others. Now, the bad thing about it is her driveway is coated in a way that makes it easier to take the snow off. And so now my wife wants our driveway coated that way also. It's a little different. Well, be that as it may, you don't look out for your own personal interests, but for the interest of others. Now, why? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours 
in Christ Jesus. The New American Standard says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, you cannot read the New Testament without Jesus being mentioned. And he's being mentioned here, not just as an example for us, but also as the motivation for us. Well, how does Jesus have the interest of others? Uh, Verse five is really interesting. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. And when we take a look at that, he, uh, uh, the King James has it really nice. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, when he referred to himself as God, when people proclaimed him to be God. He wasn't robbing anything from the Father because he's the second person of the Trinity. He really is in the form of God. In in fact, uh, the Greek word for that, morphe, means that he is God. And therefore, that wasn't something that he was striving to be equal with God because he already was God. Now, we saw him as a human being when he was here on earth, but he had two natures, human and divine. Therefore, he was existing in the form of God, and the New American Standard says, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, something he was looking for, something that he needed to show. He was quite content to be recognized as the savior of the world and did not have to make a big point that he was God because it became obvious. He's with his disciples on a boat that is sinking. Jesus wakes up, stands up, and calms the sea with his voice. And the disciples immediately begin to think that this must be the Son of God. So as God, boy, he could do anything he wanted. But listen to verse 7. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Now that term empty simply means that he set aside his divine prerogatives. Remember, As a human being, he was not omniscient. He did not know when the last day was going to come, said the Father knows. Now in his state of exaltation, 
where he has been restored to the right hand of God, he, he now knows the last day when it's going to be. But when he was on earth, he did not make use of his divine prerogatives at all times. Uh, sometimes he used them as a miracle, but a lot of times he did not make use of them because he got hungry. God never gets hungry. He got tired. God never gets tired. He suffered. God never suffers physically. And he died. God never dies. This verse is talking about what we call the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And that word servant actually is also the Greek word for slave. And you can show a number of examples. Remember at the Passover, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Peter said, no, you're not going to wash my feet because that was the task of a slave. You'd go to someone's house and they would have their slave or servant wash your feet before you would come in to eat at their table. And Jesus says, no, if I don't wash your feet, you're not part of me. And Peter says, well, then wash all of me. Peter really had some problems. And foot in the mouth, Peter, one can consider him. But he humbled himself, being found in fashion as a man. Now, that's really an important understanding. To humble oneself means to bring yourself low. A lot of times I'm humbled, but it's not my choice. I may say or do something wrong, and then I'm humbled in the eyes of others. I, I don't look very good. Humbling is often a passive action where you get humbled because of an action that you do or a word you say. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, the death of the cross. Now, if you don't think being crucified is an act of humiliation, then you don't understand what humility is. We, we talk about a lot of distinctions in Jesus. We talk about he's human and he's divine. We talk about his three offices, prophet, priest, and king. We talk about his two obediences. But we also talk about his two states. We call them humiliation and exaltation. And we get that from these verses. First of all, verse 7, he humbled himself to the cross. Then verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That word exalt 
means to place someone on the highest rank and power. And that occurred at the ascension of Jesus Christ, when he was exalted to the right hand of God. Now, we also are at the right hand of God because we're part of the body of Christ. And when you're part of the body of Christ, he's the head, you're a part of the body, but wherever the head is, so also is the body. And so, according to Ephesians, we've already risen with Christ to the right hand of God. So, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And the last verse we're going to look at is verse 11. And that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in the glory of God the Father. That's what's going to happen. A tremendous passage about the humiliation of Christ and our humiliation. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to talk about reconciliation with Wes Reinitz. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.